and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. It's good to be back with you. Hopefully you have had a great time since you last heard our dulcet tones. Man, well, when the heck did been... you get so happy? <laughs> As you say, it's only been two weeks. It's not like the last one where we had issues. <laughs> yeah, we Speak for yourself, it. 80s hero movie. Hey. hey. You two be nice. You two be nice. <laughs> Yield farts. <laughs> quack, quack, quack. Okay. So, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. So, we, we have been doing, for the last three episodes, a building of a campaign. And after the last one, we kind of hinted at what was coming for the next one, which was, well kind of the culmination of your campaign. Mm -hmm. Now, because we've said campaigns can be really short. They could be like five sessions to as many as 25 years. It just depends on what you're doing. So you always have to keep that kind of in mind when you're scaling your, your big bad villain for your campaign. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of one of the things that we're going to talk about though today is... Not just how to, but then we're also going to, instead of doing our normal thing with, you know, talking about stuff and then doing stat blocks and everything else, our stat blocks are our big, bad, evil guys. Mm -hmm. And you'll just be able to pull those bad boys out and use them as, you know, you may have to stat them specifically to whatever system you're using, but we've put enough meat there, I think you shouldn't have too much trouble designing them to fit your campaign. So let's talk about villains. Ooh, villains. Yay. And the one thing that we want, at least for me, is you don't have to always create, and I'm going to go video game tangent here, an Andrew Ryan type of super deep complex kind of villain. You can have a, you can have a lot of, you know, more fun with sometimes like the old type mustachio, you know, tying ladies on ra on railroad tracks villains. The thing is, you could have a totally cardboard cutout. Exactly, they just have to fit. They just and yeah. they, you know, and they they have to be something that your players would, you know, in, in building up the story, uh, engage with. You know that it's it's believable. It's not like, you know, you have like this crazy over the top you know, 1800s kind of snidely whiplash uh, kind of villain. No. And the entire time, everyone else is this incredibly, you know, super intriguing, noir type, you know, it's important right. that villain fits. 
Yeah. That's that kind of goes without saying. I mean, you you play your villain to the tropes and the beats you've already kind of laid out. They're built into it. You know, you don't you don't want to have kind of a no idea where this guy's going to fit because throughout as you're going, you need to kind of be peppering his plans into what you're doing as well. Yeah, your your villain's presence doesn't always have to be seen or, you know... Or it, even it, felt. It just has to be there. They, they might yeah. even completely miss, at least in the beginning, that this villain is doing a, is doing the naughty. They the thing is, you, they might ascribe it to the gods being vengeful, or you know, humans are just jerks. Yeah, there's and, all kinds of things. Oh yeah, but you know, that big big villain is pretty much a staple of storytelling. I mean, if you look oh, from myths all the Darth way up Vader. through contemporary. Dark yeah, Vader. all the way up through contemporary storytelling, you will have a villain. Well, and one, I mean, of the, one of the things I like to look at is designing them as antagonists and not necessarily villains. Uh, I feel like the the old adage that you know the, the villain is a hero in their own story has kind of gotten carried away today. And so I always look at it from the story standpoint for the antagonist. What is opposing the players and their characters? And it may be someone who has a reason that I can understand, but they don't have to be someone that is, oh, yeah, they could have been a valid PC if I just squinted the other way. You've got something that will motivate the opposition and the antagonist role, the villain, the big bad evil guy, is defined mostly in that they're opposed to the players. So having that motivation and being able to describe and ascribe a motivation to that antagonist is, for me, what I think gives it a, a uh, complexity, a weight, a, a, a reality that, that goes beyond just being a two-dimensional, snidely, mustache-twirling villain to a three-dimensional, snidely, mustache-twirling, tied you to the train tracks villain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that is because a villain is an antagonist, and an antagonist isn't always a villain. Yeah. But the, the thing, though, you do always have to remember, though, is that with villains, the one the one thing that you know that that they have to have something that makes them memorable to your players and the players characters you know it yeah. is in it's their belief system that you know it's just like oh my gosh you're interpreting it's like the same i mean think if you think about it you know you can have a a paladin like character and your villain could be a paladin as well following the same thing but their interpretation of what is divine justice and what is right and wrong versus your players it's it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is one of the things. Now, while Gautamoshe doesn't believe that, you know, the that uh, villains and, and antagonists are, you know, that a villain is just, you know, the PC that could have almost been. Um, there is 
something to that sympathetic villain. And in yeah. a lot of cases, it's that pe- and they people have overdone it. I w- mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that they haven't because they have. You know, we're not too different, you and I. How many times have we bloody right. heard that? Yeah, eventually it becomes cliche. Trite. <laughs> I was going to go with trite, but <laughs> yeah, it's- simple. Simple fact is, if you look at the superhero movies and genre, you see the flip side of the hero as their main villain in, in most of the first movies, the first intros. Iron Man, yeah. the Joker is the flip side of Batman to the point that the Joker's laughing teeth are the negative space around the bat in the yellow and black bat sigil. They are inverted versions. Mm-hmm. They're twisted. They are similar but different. And so right. yeah, understandable, yes – Sympathetic? Hey, I'm kind of past anti-hero versus sympathetic villain who could have been okay and is redeemable. I, I'm that's right. For me personally, I, I am past that particular no. combination. Yeah. Now but they the- can be really, really powerful though in the story. Mm-hmm. But it is a super fine. Like it's a razor line to walk mm-hmm. to make it work and work well. And it is because you have to have, like, the villains and antagonists kind of have to have that understandable goals that make for a more engaging story. Because if it's just like, I'm taking out the orphanage, ha ha ha, why? Were you an orphan at some point? And you just hate all that, you know, the orphanage hierarchy and structure represents. But there's no way to tell people that. Not generally. There are ways in storytelling games to kind of do like flashbacks and things like that where you can put those. In. But not all games have that. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Well, and the best answer for why you want to tear down the orphanage goes to, you know, the original Superman real estate. When in doubt, <laughs> if your antagonist needs a motivation, it's probably real estate. Yeah. Money. Mm-hmm. It's a real it's easy motivator. Oh, yeah. Real estate. <laughs> it's an investment vehicle. It's the only yeah. way to expand. Or if you want them to be somewhat sympathetic – they got in over their head, their hands are tied and have to expand, and the only way that they can get themselves and maybe someone they care about out of trouble is to fulfill this contract, which means they need that real estate where that orphanage happens to sit. So they choose whatever it is that is being threatened, be it a family member, a, a precious little doggo, whatever, over the orphans in the orphanage. Yeah, But there is an understandable component. And it's also something that players and characters can grasp and you can get out in the campaign. It's right. not just subtext, which is the other big danger for people like me, is coming up with complex, vast motivations that never see the light of the gaming table. Because yeah. I could write thousands of words, hundreds of pages of backstory for the antagonist in numerous campaigns. I had to stop myself at 20 in the most recent one I was working on. <laughs> but if it doesn't make it to the table, 
it's wasted energy. And it may inform how you play them, but it sh you should not spend more energy than you are going to be able to add to the table. Right. Yeah, because if you're going to do a 20-page exposition on the backstory of a villain, most people at the table are going to fall asleep. Well, I mean, that depends on whether you've been captured first or not and whether they're gnawing at them. Well, okay, never yeah. mind. That's a whole different story. Um, yes. But that's that, a whole different villain story. Heck yeah. That's a whole different episode. But wait, yeah. we have inspiration for the future. Thank right. you. Just, and just as an aside, you, but, and everyone brings like, you know, okay, like two-dimensional, three-dimensional kind of villains. The one also thing that I also think is more of a kind of like an, a unique take on a big bad evil guy is, well, and I'm going to steal from extra credits because they call them force of nature villains. If you think about it, they, you know, the the giant kaiju from uh, Pacific Rim. Oh, yeah. Big bad evil guys. But the thing is, 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 yeah, they have a motive and stuff like that, but they're much more of a of a force of nature and you know they're they're rated like hurricanes if i recall correctly or or tornadoes yeah. something like that so you know the the one thing is like your villains you know they do have like i said in a post-apocalyptic story something like that might work you know if that's an interesting kind of story like the these you know uh, something's horribly screwed up and you know you You've got like horrible mutation and monsters, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, just somebody just <laughs> to ask <laughs> you monster. But yeah, the thing is like though, and in, in also tabletop RPGs, there are creatures, there are things like that that do in a kind of almost primal way do represent a force of nature. And if, you know, and if that fits, if that fits your game, go ahead and use it. You don't need, it doesn't always have to be a humanoid or an AI or um, a, a charismatic. Any other number of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can sometimes just be a, you know, you know, a hurricane. They can. They mm -hmm. totally can. Absolutely. Now, they they're have. Not, they're not always as much fun. Right. But sometimes well, they, they, they can They have work. impact on the mm -hmm. world, but they're not as impactful if the players have a hard time relating to them mm -hmm. and and relate is is relative now hear me out with this because they tend to have a little more impact if they're relatable believable and also human now that doesn't necessarily mean exactly how i'm saying it so just let me finish here even if they aren't you have to remember, your players are, okay, as far as being human. And they will have a hard time relating to something that is completely and truly alien. Because you can't really, truly grasp all of the things that is truly alien. So even if the bad guy is this weird, unknowable alien from the gla glass giant planet in the galaxy of Dalvandia it still needs to have something kind of human that the characters can kind of understand. Or you know, the, the, the antagonist is, okay, has yeah. to kind of go a really long way, but never underestimate the power of, you know, like that weird twirly mustache guy. <laughs> because but the, 
Go ahead. Sorry, before I forget, but the, the one thing is, though, there's also kind of, if you think, and I'm going to go back to Lovecraft, is Cthulhu, the unknowable, you know, it, it's so alien, they ram it with their ship, nothing happened. But you also have to remember, those are, generally speaking, that is a, a very, very specific type of horror that he uses. It's not necessarily what you would run into in, say, like a D game or a Shadowrun game. You're not running into something like a Cthuloid monster. Well, maybe let's not use Shadowrun as an example for uh, metaphor purposes. Well, but, do you hear chittering? I hear chittering. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing chittering. Look, I'm not in Chicago right now. I'm not dealing with a bridge over something. And anyway, you know, I haven't been Shadowrun. paying attention to sixth edition at all. Oh, you sweet <laughs> poor summer child. No. <laughs> but the idea that there are those unknowables, the idea that there, there are there is the ineffable components, the antagonists whose alien motivations are just alien, is something that is well suited to horror campaigns and maybe not what you always want in every campaign. So that that goes back to that knowing knowing your genre and knowing your game and perhaps our most common statement that we ever make talk to your players yeah know what <laughs> they want because if i'm playing a high fantasy tabletop rpg game i'm not interested in exploring the questions of ineffable horror and existential dread that come with cthulhu and the Cthulhu mythos, as if I was playing, say, Call of Cthulhu. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I'm playing Call of Cthulhu, and I'm pulling off Indiana Jones-like tricks, I'm assuming that something's about to drop on me. Or you're playing Pulp Cthulhu. Oh, that's but fun. That's a different thing. But see, you know your game. That's what this is. It's know your game, know your genre. If you're able to punch the bad guys in the face, then it's not truly a cosmic horror thing. So not not in the traditional sense of like Lovecraft, where just looking at something makes you faint or, you know, stand gibbering in a in a room for an hour. Or make you drift off to the, you know, dream realms or anything like that. You know, those are different things. <laughs> And because we've now gotten fairly far afield in discussing creation yeah. of your antagonists, your villains, your big bad evil guys, your boss fights, perhaps we should tell you a little bit about some of our inspiration for that in this campaign we've been describing for the last uh, three episodes, two months, however long it's taken you to listen to all of it in one sitting at double speed, which means I'm talking way too fast right now. And so. Oh, that's mean, dude. That is mean. <laughs> but funny as hell. Zen, take it away. Okay. The Crypto Neural Network of Centauri. As the planetary governing body of the planet known as Sol, in Sol as Proxima B, detected the incoming ship, it was almost too late. 
As the ship slowed to a crawl, as the dark drive went offline, the government decided that it was time to give the beings of Seoul a chance to meet some of their galactic neighbors. While the crew was still in cryosleep for the punch, the cyber-snassy government had figured out how the people of Seoul worked on several different levels. They knew that mankind was a barbaric race that had been evolved to have actually the most adaptive neural network in their bodies. See, the people of Proxima B had wrecked their planet generations ago. And this lucky happenstance made it so that the Proxima, as they are called, had a vessel to upload into. Yes, they had figured out how to digitize their minds. The computers in the ship were rudimentary at best. So once the command crew had been overwritten by the Proxia, the computers of the ship had to then start being updated and made to interface with the dark drive properly. As more help was needed, then more people from the Elpis were rewritten after they had been digitized, of course. I mean, the people of Proxima needed their help, but they were not monsters. Now, it took a couple of years to get the ship's systems working properly, and there was a bit of trial and error, not going to lie. But after they finally got the engine systems communicating effectively, it was time to get the primary uplink running. While all of this had been happening, the Proxinians were able to create a new recording stack that was able to meld the minds of the two races. At the same time, it was creating the first digitized humans. They needed to go to their home so they could help humans to be a better version of themselves. They would help by riding along, curbing, or outright stopping the worst behaviors of humans. The new race would be better than either of the parent races. The few new melds that that did exist were having ideas of ways to work on fixing the mother planet and helping the few species that had shown signs of any higher level intelligence. The process that humans called uplifting, and the Proxians called rising. Unknown to the originals, though, that had undergone this process, there was no survival of both. Only one would finish the trip back to Earth. Ooh. (laughs) I... I, mm. Damn, I get damn, dude. That's all I I don't have anything. Damn. So um I I I teased this on Twitter and there was one uh somebody that follows me. Uh he uh, how did he put it? Uh let me find it here really fast because it's super funny. So let's see. An unnatural biohive mind ghost of a lost race culture civilization returning with a possessed army. Dude, that is metal as holy hell. Yeah, you can see that kind of a description as a as a as a metal album cover. Right. So. So that's the big bad thing that's hiding out on the Elpis. <laughs> Biffy. So, um, may I go next? Sure. 
<laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Seemingly innocuous, the Jakarja sigil has become more and more of an influence. Or at least it is more and more of an obvious part of the day-in and day-out ornamentation of life. At first, the slightly off-kilter and asymmetric design seemed like nothing more than another fad, uh, spreading amongst the youth, an image, a meme with which to annoy the elders. That was a decade past. Jukarja has proven to be a powerful part of what can bind people together. Each and every cell, gang, or, or coven of Jukarja remains a tight-knit community, helping themselves against any who are not yet inculcated to the knowledge and power professed to be held within the eye of Jukarja, harnessed by the tattoo, subtly shaping what the person projects to others. The commonplace addition of the tattoo and the layout of the various safe houses in that same design has given rise and worry to many. Well, to the many or few who watch for the unhappy rumblings of the civil society to leak upwards into more polite conversation. Slowly growing at odds with the mass bibliotheca militum, Jakarja groups have become noticeably more vocal within the last year. There are protests and demonstrations, a, a very loud addition to the surrounding space. And when you are on a spaceship or space station, that proximity and that noise becomes alarming. The Jukarja have shown, almost by accident, the growing number of skilled members in their groups. The engineers, the stevedores, the soldiers, and the slicers all have found a sense of community. Community that has now provided a purpose. The polis has to deal with the Jukarja more and more frequently, uh, stepping up to encourage saving, joining, or otherwise rescuing the Elpsis. It is the way to find a better place, a better life, as our leaders here have failed us, so they say. The image continues. It replicates. You see it happening over and over again. You see it on a panel of the Ark ship, the Elpsis, beamed back for news. The same as has been spread for the last decade within the polis. The same. Colonel Mackenzie Fargo of the Mass Bibliotheca Militum saw that. He bought in. He took over. He listens to them now. And Colonel Fargo will stop your meddlesome interference. Oh my god, that is amazing. You monster. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh. Mwah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> And just so you know, listening along at home, Zen and I had absolutely zero collaboration in preparing this. <laughs> it's true. It is so true. <sighs> we saved the best for last. I can't follow you guys. What the heck's wrong with you? You could have said, no, no, I'm going <laughs> next, but you let me go. So instead... I, I didn't unmute fast enough. All right. This is what Push to Talk is for. <sighs> yep. Alternative Reflections. When a hero describes residents of an alternative universe, they always describe their antagonists incorrectly. Evil versions of the heroes sporting pointed goatees, laughing maniacally about their evil plans. It's actually the hero's cognitive dissonance. They think they're fighting an evil version of themselves, and that's not exactly right. 
ruminating on the what if and if only, watching your infinite future condense to a single line, wondering about the now severed branches. There's two identical versions going through the same logic process and arriving at different conclusions. One giving in to a violent impulse, the other refraining at the last minute. Different decisions, different outcomes and consequences. Dark consequences of the road not taken. Still, at the root of it all, they are the same person. They're not the hero's inverse, but they're Jungian shadow. We are all supposed to be the heroes of our own stories. So what does it mean if you are also the villain? There are no secrets between you, no lies, and no easy explanation. The horror that comes with seeing the depths of depravity one could and has sunk to. The fallout is catastrophic. Denial of truth, of facts, and ultimately the denial of the self. The hero sees their dark reflection in its raw form. They see their capacity for evil, a capacity they most likely suppress to the point of non-existence or denial. The hero can destroy themselves completely and utterly, but all is not lost. If one has the inner strength to stare at the truth and not flinch, to fully acknowledge their own shadow, then defeat is not a foregone conclusion. The insight to know how you would act in their place, the tactics, their biases are all laid bare. You know how they'll think, how they'll act, and what they prioritize. And it is possible to manipulate the confrontation to your advantage. And the hero knows the consequences if they fail, because they know exactly what they would do if they were in the same position. Fine. That's I like really, that idea. That's, that, that's really nice. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I was just listening to your guys. And I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> Look, I just felt a slow growing cold over the last decade that may or may not be influenced by whatever happens to be on the ARC ship that has co-opted some kind of military organization. This is like bread and butter for me that I came up with in like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just write what comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, we and my friends were having a, a, a Shakespeare just one off on lines and lines and lines and this above all to thine own self be true. I'm like, what if there's different yep. selves and you're still true to you? I'm like, Ooh. a version of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, totally. I need to see if I've recommended something for a, a closing remark. Now you're reminding me of a, of a thing, but <laughs> yay. Uh, yes. But before we do that. We should go into our next segment. An uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions with a bit of information about those words as well. All right, Zen. What do you have for us? Okay. Educate me. Nomocracy. Ooh. Gnome as G-N-O-M-E. No, 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 no. Oh, and like similar to logocracy. Okay. Yes. Nomocracy. Lawful. So. Rule of law. Come to me, my orderly city. The definition <laughs> is a government in accordance with a system of law. So literally the letter of the law is the only thing that matters for the rule of the government. It's a larger theory than that. It's not so much the, the lawful neutral. There, there is nothing other than the, the letter of the True, law. True, but it's, 
it, it is that according to law, as, a, as yeah. opposed to rule according to fiat. It, it's there's a. Right. I'm a, sorry. Okay, I got to stop now before I go yeah. off on diatribes about historical revolutions uh, and. It, that's a different story. Indeed, nomocracy just means that we have a set system of laws. It is something that is aspired to, and it is good. Correct. Yes. So, um, the origin is literally just nomo and crocacy, which you know, law and government. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is no listed. Uh, first known use uh, and there really isn't much in the way of history that is written about this. so it just kind of exists out there and I'm not entirely sure, sure there's somewhere you could find out more about it but um, because I I use Merriam-Webster stuff to to do all of our lexicons and I have a paid subscription now so I get more information, supposedly. And this was the more information. <laughs> and the look... Okay, so now, for the last thing. The lookup popularity is the top 29% of words. Which is something that I was not expecting to see. I feel like that may be... There's something that's changed in those stats since we first started doing them. Like It's it based the on... Uh, the month. Okay. okay. Ah. Every month, those numbers change because there's they're constantly... Like at the beginning of the month, they look at what the last month did. Something got published. Right. That, that, it, well, I mean, nomocracy doesn't have a, an origin because the it exists from the first time that the recorded system of laws was put down. Right. It is coexistent with our idea of time. Yeah. So... That's part of why. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. that that those sorts of things uh you I I cuz I had done my search history when I started writing my piece had like 15 tabs open and I was just going crazy and diving down deep rabbit holes and I had to stop. But one of them was I was looking at different comment forms. So, okay. Well, guys, I think we are going to wrap this bad boy up. So let's hit these closing remarks and get out of here. And you guys can then go start working on designing your own campaign. Which you are going to share with us on social media. You've heard the bumpers. You know where to find us. But as a reminder, do like, rate, subscribe, and find us on all forms of social media and share with us your favorite part of building a campaign and your example from any one of our last four prompts, these last four episodes, especially on our Discord server. If not, find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook groups. Farmers only? <laughs> I, we might be in the farmer's almanac. All right. Mm. I mean, no, no, we're not. Nah. <laughs> we don't have a TikTok yet, but um, never say never. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Technically, we have a Twitch, but I've never used it. So you should use it and the, uh, the Tumblr and whatnot. And <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> Look. I'll look at the it's TikTok, true. you look at the Twitter and, and uh, Twitch or whatever, and, and yeah. Okay. Is that, a, is that a at, promise? 
I'm looking at TikTok right now. <laughs> okay. So let's go ahead and get these closing remarks. Jules, what you got? All right. All right. I'm going kind of a blast in the past old school. Uh, I found uh, browsing Amazon. I actually stumbled across one of the first animes I ever watched, Robot Carnival. And it is very 80s. I'm going to warn everybody about that. But if you've ever seen like the Animatrix or Four Rooms, it's eight stories with eight different animation studios, but all surrounding by one theme. And it's robots. And the neat thing about it is like there's no direct like steampunk. No, it's like it's not steampunk only or cyberpunk only or something. No, it's all these weird different genres. You know, you do have like uh, steampunk or space laser battle looking at a dystopian future. There's even one that kind of mimics old school war propaganda. And it's really, really neat. So it's interesting to see how a lot of these are just short stories told that in some of them there's you know some of them there's some dialogue but in a lot of them it's just done through sound effects and musical score which is pretty awesome in my opinion oh that is pretty awesome mm -hmm. and yeah the music is uh, when they have the more rock and rollier stuff it is very much 80s rock but they also have some ones that are just like very bare bones and it's really cool because joe Asashi from miyazaki fame uh, was one of the writers of some of the music. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, Gardemage, where are we going? Well, I'm going to say take a look at the uh, 2008 movie Wanted. The comic books it's based on are also really well-received. There, There's what I can best call an ease and insouciance of the movie that, that is worth watching for inspiration. Uh, James McAvoy is in a role before they made him shave his head, and he becomes part of something greater that inspires him, but then also makes him question what is good or heroic. Uh, add in some rip-roaring stylized action sequences in that classic late 2000s style, and, you know, it's a popcorn flick that might give you inspiration. Yes, it can. <laughs> yes, it can. I like that movie. But I'm weird like that. Yes. So, Zen, <laughs> okay. what do you have to outweird the wanted? All right. So, there is a Twitter user called Hope for RPGs. And she also has a Discord. And they are a ton. Their Discord is actually really cool because it's a bunch of really fun people talking about tons of uh, RPG stuff. A lot of it is kind of geared towards D&D &D because that's kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the room. But there is some spreading out into a few other things as well. And the big thing is, is that they're really into promoting everybody that's doing tabletop stuff, either Twitch streamers or podcasts or content creators. I mean, they want everybody to promote and help everybody else. And they're also starting to do some charity stuff, which again, they're just a, really seem like a really bunch of nice people. And it's actually made my Twitter feed way more manageable 
and taken a lot of the negativity that was being tied into stuff out. So uh, there is a link to their Twitter as well as their Discord server. So if you do Discord, go check them out. If you do Twitter, go check them out. I don't know if they're on anything else because I don't really use anything but those two things. But that's what I got. Awesome. Quite awesome indeed. I must say. (laughs) Hope is fun. Sporting good show there, Jab. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, well, guys, it's been fun. Roll some dice. (laughs) Play some games. Next (laughs) What the? (laughs) Okay. All right. Who's sick the gremlins? Really? Who's sick the gremlins on us? Uh, Who knows? Obviously, things are a little bit off. So until next time, from us here at Seize the GM, roll some dice. Play some games. And have fun. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.